0: You're listening to the Bible Teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading this morning is from Romans 3, beginning in verse 1. I'll be reading first in Spanish and second in English. We do this occasionally so that we are reminded of our global faith. It's a glimpse into eternity when people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered around our God's throne worshiping him together. Que ventaja tiene, pues el judio, o de que aprovecha la circuncisión mucho en todos maneras. Primero, ciertamente que les ha sido confiada la palabra de Dios. Pues que si algunos de ellos han sido incrédulos, su incrudidad habrá hecho nula la fidelidad de Dios de ninguna manera. Antes bien sea Dios veraz y todo hombre mentiroso como está escrito. Para que seas justificado en tus palabras y venzas cuando fueres juzgado. Y si nuestra injusticia hace resaltar la justicia de Dios... ¿Qué diremos? ¿Será injusto Dios que da castigo? Hablo como hombre, en ninguna manera, de otro modo. ¿Cómo juzgaría Dios al mundo? ¿Pero si sí por mí mentira la verdad de Dios abundó para su gloria? porque aún soy juzgado como pecador? ¿Y por qué no decir cómo se nos colombia y cómo algunos cuya convención es justa? Afirman que nosotros decimos, hagamos males para que venga bienes? Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, be through everyone were a liar as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I so being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. This is the word of the Lord. Be
1: to God. Well, some call it confirmation bias, assimilation, or self justification, but some simply call it your inner lawyer. It's a phrase that describes this remarkable ability that we have to defend ourselves at any cost, even if we're wrong, even if all the facts point to our guilt. The New York Times best-selling author Jonathan Haidt was finishing his workday of writing on moral psychology, how people tend to Fabricate reasons that justify their behavior when he came home to his wife, who gently but firmly told him not to leave the dirty dishes out, as he had a habit of doing. The problem was that before she had even finished her sentence, his inner lawyer was already at work. Listen to what he says Even before I knew why she was criticizing me, I knew I disagreed with her. The instant I knew the content of the criticism, the dirty dishes, my inner lawyer went to work searching for an excuse. I then lied so quickly and convincingly that my wife and I both believed me. Now, if we're honest, and we should be this morning, we've all had this experience Though my inner lawyer has been on retainer since I was born, I remember the day that my teenage friend accused me of being conceited. She said, you're conceited, Tim Chaddock. I said, no, I'm not. And later that night, I remember looking for a dictionary, because I actually didn't know what the word conceited meant. Uh, It means arrogant, by the way, just in case you wondered. But I continue to experience my inner lawyer on a daily basis. It could even be within church ministry. I get a criticizing email with the subject line. Usually it's in all caps. By the way, just if you're going to email the church, just try not to do all caps. It doesn't make it well received. But, you know, my concern about your sermon. And all of a sudden, my inner lawyer is already ready to defend myself. Well, Barbara, I've got concerns about you. Maybe I'll reply in my email to you. I often see this in my marriage. My wife will often say, can you please not like Jonathan Haidt, leave the dishes out. Well, I mean, do you realize the things that I've done? Do you realize all the responsibilities I have in the home to care for and provide for my family? Of course, I am totally justified in leaving out the dishes. Maybe you relate. Well, few understood human nature and the reality of this inner lawyer like Paul the Apostle. Paul, before he was known as such, was Saul. He was a persecutor, as you've learned through this series. He was against the good news of the gospel. He justified himself as being righteous and not in need of the sheer grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He defended himself time and time again until he finally waved the white flag and his inner lawyer retreated. And he was changed and friends you and i can be changed and paul's letter to the romans is about how god creates a new humanity how this change comes about but the beginning of romans as you've learned shows us why we need to become new in the first place our world is broken our world is in a state of sin which is anything an attitude an action which is in rebellion towards god and we are all Paul has stated, on the same playing field as Matt reminded us last week. In Romans chapter 1, he says the Gentiles, all the non-Jews, they are all guilty before God. And in chapter 2, quite shockingly, even the Jews are guilty. Even those who are known as the, the people of God, the stewards of the Scriptures, were guilty before God. Wait a minute. The Jews? Also guilty? It's hard not to imagine the reactions of some of Paul's Jewish readers. And here in chapter 3, he anticipates the objections. He anticipates the pushback, as he will do throughout the book of Romans. And no doubt, these are not just you know, imaginary arguments, but he had real opposers, real people who were combating him, challenging the truth of the good news in order to defend and justify themselves. And whenever Paul does this, he seems to be answering both legitimate questions that are fair to ask, while also aware of the power of the inner lawyer who would seek to use those objections, to use those questions, to use that pushback to avoid guilt, to avoid taking responsibility. See, friends, here's what I want us to think about this morning. Paul knows that even our reasoning, our logic, however brilliant, is not free from the effects of sin. Sometimes, as we all know, in the home, with your friends, in your community, we use our ability of argument to protect our ego. We use our ability to argue to get what we want, or at least get us out of the hot seat, even if we belong there. Even if we did, in fact, leave out the dirty dishes So I'm going to be referring to our inner lawyer today as that fallen, broken, sinful part of our nature that often hides behind even good questions or uses the objections to free us from guilt, as was often the case with Paul's objectors. And so his teaching here in Romans 3, though specifically connected and directed at Jewish objections to the gospel, also teaches us about our inner lawyer there's three things i want to say three ways we must respond and the first is this the inner lawyer must be recognized your inner lawyer must be recognized what is paul doing here in verses one through eight he's refuting the jewish argument those who are trying to debate with him And the very fact that Paul needs to spend so much time, not only here in Romans 3, but as you will continue to see throughout the year in the book of Romans, he spends so much time dealing with objections, shows How aware he is that there are legitimate questions, but he is also aware of the reality of the inner lawyer who would seek to use those objections to free themselves from responsibility or guilt. And the first objection he heard by the Jews who had opposed the message of the gospel is found in verses 1 through 2. Let's read it again. Then what advantage has the Jew? Paul says? Or what is the value of Circumcision. Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, Paul has just spelled out the fact that being a Jew, being one of the Israelites, the people of God, and all the privileges that went with it, do not guarantee acceptance before God. He's been laying out that case over the last few chapters. And so some of his opponents would say, well, what was the point then, Paul? If what you're saying about the, these, these, the Jewish people and the privileges that they had cannot earn us acceptance before God, then what's the point? What is the purpose? Surely there's a contradiction there, Paul. But Paul answers this objection by saying, what was the privilege? Much in every way. He affirms that there was a privilege. He affirms that there was an advantage To the Jewish people. First, God chose you, he's saying to his Jewish hearers, to be the custodians of God's word to the world. You got to hear the word of God firsthand. This is an incredible privilege and part of how God made himself known to the world. But here's the catch. But this advantage does not equal acceptance. That's what Paul's saying. This great advantage, however wonderful it might be, does not equal acceptance. Advantage from God does not equal acceptance from God or with God. See, one of Paul's arguments is that the Jewish people were called to be the messengers of God. But here's the thing. They did not fulfill their role in rightly taking the message to the nations. That's what we read about when we read the Old Testament. So Paul's saying, why would you boast, well, we're the messengers of God, when you actually failed in the role? Why would you boast? He'll address this again later on, specifically in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Many in Israel, as we see throughout the Old Testament, also had their inner lawyer in their hearts. They would often say, well, we're the people who have the law of God. But oftentimes, as we read in the Bible, they were not walking in the law of God. They were not doing what the law of God was required. It's one thing to know the law of God, which is great, but are you receiving the word of God? Are you listening to the word of God? Paul would say, did you allow the law of God to humble you before God so that you might rely on his grace? The inner lawyer in humanity will often rely on advantages as if they equal acceptance. I suppose a loose equivalent would be, well, my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was an Episcopalian minister, so I'm good. One of my relatives said this recently. Or you might say, well, I don't know anything about Episcopalians, but I'm the daughter of a famous non-denominational contemporary worship leader, so I'm definitely written in the Lamb's Book of Life, for sure. Have you seen the album sales? I was raised in a Christian home. I took a first communion when I was five. I was maybe baptized as an infant, so I'm good. My family, you know, we're, we're, we're of this particular background. We have this church history associated with our name. Now, am I saying that those influences are not good? Maybe you were raised in a Christian home. Maybe you, were, maybe you had the advantage and the privilege of being raised in a home where the word of God was read. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. Will it serve you? Yes. But will it save you? Not unless you receive the message of the gospel. And when you begin to rely on those advantages as if they themselves could save you, then you can become blind. Could these things be an advantage? See, our inner lawyer will mistakenly use them to equal acceptance with God. I hear this all the time. I remember years ago when I was uh, being ordained, I, I worked at a larger church in Southern California and it had a Christian school attached to it. And I often found great difficulty in dealing with some of the parents of the children who attended that school, because when some of these children would get into trouble, I'm speaking of high school age here, so you can use your imagination for the ways in which they might get in trouble, we had to address it with the parents. And I remember on one occasion, there was this mother, and her son had gotten involved in all kinds of terrible things at school, and we had to, you know, bring it up to her, and she said, he's not guilty, because I am part of the women's ministry in this church, So he will not be expelled. He will continue to remain in good standing as a member of this school because I am in the women's ministry. And I'm like, you are a fool. Or I don't remember what I said, but something of the equivalent nature. See, oftentimes I hear this. We're resting in something that, sure, might serve as a natural advantage that can serve you, but it will not save you. This is one of Paul's points here. Our inner lawyer will lean on those things. Oh, but you don't know my family heritage. You don't know the the environment in which I was grown up. Well, those things might be well and good, but friend, are you allowing even those advantages when the Bible was read to you? Are you allowing the word of God to humble you so that you would cry out and say, God, save me? If not, you're allowing your inner lawyer to do their work. And so Paul is saying here, this advantage becomes a disadvantage when you rely on it for your salvation. And Paul knew this himself. That kind of privilege when viewed wrongly can act like blinders. Now, is it bad to have legitimate questions? Some of these are good questions that Paul is raising here. Of course not. It's not bad to have these good questions. You might have questions about certain scriptures, truths, passages. That's well and good, but we must recognize that we all have the ability to hide behind good questions or use them as an excuse not to take responsibility or not to repent. I remember before I was a, a, a Christian, I remember hearing the gospel, hearing Christian truth, and I would try to point out contradictions, but I wasn't so much concerned in the, the logic of it, if you will, I was more concerned like, hey, I don't wanna be guilty. I don't want to have to repent. I don't want to have to do all that, so I'm going to like, you know, arm myself. My inner lawyer is like, I am here in defense of Tim Chaddock, and he does not have to repent because of uh, these apparent contradictions in your religion. That's how my heart was operating. Paul knew this well, and that is why, number one, we not only need to recognize the inner lawyer, but secondly, the inner lawyer must be removed. This becomes even more clear throughout the book of Romans, but even here in this passage, when Paul answers a second objection, and he does so by quoting the Old Testament itself, specifically the great King David. And he does so in answer to this question. Well, okay, if Israel failed in bringing forth God's message, that must mean that God has failed, right? Paul anticipates this objection, He heard it before. Romans chapter 3, verse 3. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Paul says, absolutely not. Now, this is a specifically Jewish objection, but I also hear similar objections today. Well, God can't be good because after all, look at all those terrible Christians. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you're saying that. It may be that today, one of the reasons why, if you're a Christian, but you're not repenting of something that God is revealing, is because you're just simply pointing out the failure of other Christians. Yeah, God's convicting me of that sinful sexual relationship I'm in, or the, the greed that I've allowed to, to foster in my heart, But but I mean, look at them. Look at the rest of Reality Church of Stockton. I mean, come on. Like, surely I'm not as bad as that. I don't have to repent. Do you see? Because like, Why should I trust God if if I can't even trust these people? Now, in no way am I minimizing the sins and failures of others, but dear friend, the unfaithfulness of others will never be a good reason to stop following Jesus. Paul's point here is the unfaithfulness of others will never nullify the faithfulness of God. And that's what he says in verse 4. By no means let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, though you may be just, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So far is it from the case that human unfaithfulness undermines God's faithfulness. Like John Stott, the commentator, says that even if every single human being were a liar on the planet, God would still be true because he remains himself and he remains true to himself. And the Bible demonstrates this. The Bible does not hide human nature. The Bible reveals human nature. The Bible is not a book full of pristine heroes, but broken men and women. Maybe you've been given another idea. I'll never forget seeing the, if if you've been around the Christian world for a while, you might have seen the Precious Moments Bible. Has anyone seen that? Precious Moments Bible, super cute. I'm like, why didn't they do a painting of like Samson and Delilah? Why didn't they do any little cute little pictures of the book of Judges? Why is it that when we retell the story of King David that we only talk about Goliath but not Bathsheba? Why do we only talk about his victory but not also his adultery? The Bible reveals human nature, and few people knew this like King David himself. Pastor Christian used a few weeks ago this story of King David as an illustration, but it's worth repeating as Paul quotes King David here in Romans chapter 3. What began for Israel's king as a lustful moment turned into an enormous sex and murder scandal involving a woman, Bathsheba, and her husband, Uriah, who was a soldier in David's army. And while the soldier was away, David slept with her and sought to cover it up by having Uriah murdered. And if that wasn't bad enough, David turned a blind eye He pretended as though he was not guilty. He allowed his inner lawyer, the posture of his heart, to defend himself, not willing to look at the truth. And it was not until the prophet, you could almost say an Old Testament Paul the Apostle, if you will, came and exposed the reality of King David's blind justification. And it was in that moment that King David repented and he fired his inner lawyer. David knew that day, what we all know, to one degree or another, that we have this ability to sweep things under the rug and even make ourselves look better, but this must be exposed and it must be removed. And I should say at this point that this begins with us. Maybe you're listening right now and you're thinking, well, my husband needs to hear that. My wife needs, well, talk about inner lawyers, like her inner lawyer is like crazy. She should get paid like $350,000 a year. Maybe you're saying that of a friend, or maybe some of the people in, well, Reality Church Stockton, they've got their inner lawyers alive and well, but my dear friend, it is time for you to examine your own heart. And ask, where is it that I'm blindly justifying the path that I am going down? Take your cue from King David. This quote that Paul uses here in Romans 3 is from King David's confession psalm. It's king david giving his marching orders to his sinful actions it's him ending his wrongful defense of his sinful actions while acknowledging that god remains faithful and it is worth quoting this psalm at length psalm 51 verse 2 through 4 david says after firing his inner lawyer wash me clean from my guilt purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. You know you fired your inner lawyer when you begin to, to agree with God. When you begin to agree with God about who he is, but also when you agree with God about who you are and what needs to be dealt with in your own life. See, King David not only recognized his inner lawyer, but the need to remove this inner lawyer. Friends, this is repentance. This is what we were led in earlier, that that moment of, of confession of sin and then assurance of pardon that's not just some part of random like oh i guess we should put in a confession in our church service today friends this is like this is the real stuff in that moment when someone's leading us in a time of confession we're agreeing with god and we're saying to our inner lawyer that voice in our own hearts, like you don't need to repent come on i mean you've, you've been to church you've tithed you even tithed in 2020 surely you're righteous before god like, well, I did give $10 from my stimulus check to Reality Church Stockton so they could buy some more hand sanitizer. But, you know, so therefore, I'm good. Hey, I'll be honest. In ministry, I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. So, I mean, surely I don't have to repent as much. There's like little voices in my own heart. What is that? It's my sinful nature. It's my little inner lawyer. like, Tim, you're good. Just, you just sit right there. You don't, the, the Holy Spirit's convicting you, but that's for other people that's not for you. You're good. Remember, you tithed. You tithed. You know, like when the lawyer goes to their client, they're like, you're good. You're good. You're just fine. I got this. It needs to be exposed, but also removed. Do you and I recognize that we have this ability within ourselves to blindly justify our positions? But David also notes that when he does and acknowledges his own unfaithfulness and the unfaithfulness of other people, that it will never stop the faithfulness of God. In other words, don't use the failures of others as an excuse to reject God. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. You're joining us this morning. And maybe you've realized that you have good questions, good questions that can have great conversations. And if you have questions about the existence of God or the the reality or truth of Jesus Christ, the church staff would love to take those questions. Absolutely. We invite that. We welcome that. But I would also say this to you. And in many ways, I'm saying this to my former self. I would often use good questions as a way of hiding my bad pathway. Could that be the case for you yes legitimate questions absolutely but don't hide behind them or resist the truth that god is revealing in your own heart or some of us are saying you know what the failures of others the church like i'm just done if anything paul's saying here the unfaithfulness of people only highlights the faithfulness of god now the way that we begin to remove our inner lawyers by saying God, I am not the starting point of truth. Isn't it funny? Like, whenever you argue with God, we often talk about arguing with God, but isn't it funny how we always assume we're the ones who are right? And that God's, like, in the dock, and we're like, well, God, I have seven counts against you. And God's like, oh, no, what am I going to do? How could I possibly defend myself? (laughs) Remember when I prayed for a pay raise, you know, three years ago? You didn't give that to me. So that's point number one on your unfaithfulness list, oh, God. It's like, it's, it's as if we're like cross-examining God, but firing your inner lawyer, removing the inner lawyer means what Paul says later on. I don't want to skip ahead too much, but Romans 9, 10, 11, Paul concluding his argument says, who are you, oh man, to talk back to God? Like you didn't create the world. You didn't save the world. <laughs> like this is not about your glory. It's about God's glory, Removing your inner lawyer means, God, you're the starting point. You are the standard by which I am measured. I'm not measuring you according to my standard. I'm not measuring the other members of Reality Church of Stockton or all of Stockton in general against my standard. God, your standard is the starting point for truth. I'm not going to measure this on my own inclinations, my attitude, or my own experience. I'm not going to be, as Paul says later in Romans, wise in my own eyes that's what's happening with the inner lawyer the inner lawyer your heart is trying to be wise in your own eyes the inner lawyer must be recognized the inner lawyer must be removed but many people say that even like secular sources out there will say hey you've got an inner lawyer you need to deal with them but what's the solution and that's what i want to draw your attention to here third the inner lawyer must be replaced. Not even our sinfulness can stop the faithfulness of God. And as you can see, what's Paul doing here? He's answering these Jewish objections that keep them from receiving the truth by showcasing that God is the hero of the story. He is the one in whom we should trust. And he highlights this by answering a third objection. Okay, then. Someone might say, or our hearts might say, if you're saying that even my sin and failure can highlight God's faithfulness, then isn't it wrong for him to judge me? So he anticipates this argument in verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us? I speak in a human way. Paul recognizes that this is a ridiculous argument. He recognizes that this is just like a, a funny little defense mechanism. It's as if someone's saying, I'm doing God a favor, right? Like, if this highlights God's faithfulness, I'm going to make terrible decisions today. And God, you kind of owe me for that because I'm making you look good. Paul goes even further in verse 7 and 8 at the end of our text. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, here's his conclusion, their condemnation is just. my translation, that's absolutely ridiculous. It's so easy for us to miss the truth or even twist the truth, even subtly, and that's why Paul answers so many objections from his opponents. It's like it exposes all these, you know, misunderstandings we have about how God works. It reminds me of one of the famous lines from the great theologian, Al Pacino, who once said, I once asked God for a bike but then I remembered that he doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike and I asked for forgiveness later. (laughs) See, a lot of people just have these wrong ideas about God and we must come time and time again to the word of his truth. Paul says that argument is obviously wrong. It's like saying to someone else, hey, learning to forgive is good, right? So I'm going to steal from you over and over and over again so that you can learn who's doing who the favor. Paul says this is insane. Part of our fallen nature is that we have this incredible ability to default to ourselves as the standard of truth. But Paul says, it is not us, it is God who is righteous. And so sandwiched in the middle of these objections is an affirmation of the righteous judgment of God. The only one who is able to judge your case rightly, to judge my Life rightly is God. And as Romans lays out, he has rightly exposed that all of us are in sin. All of us are guilty. All of us are worthy of the judgment of God. But that's not the only reason he's writing this letter. He's saying that there's good news. And in a radical plot twist, the only one worthy of judging you has actually taken up the role of defending you. God, our righteous judge, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live on our behalf, to die on a cross in our place, the death that we deserve because of our sin, and rise again on the third day to be our advocate. He stands in our place. Jesus Christ's righteousness and his perfection gain us acceptance before God. Jesus is our advocate. And he doesn't pretend that we aren't guilty. Nor does he present to the court our track record to justify our sin. He says, no, the person here is guilty as charged, but I am going to make the payment on their behalf so that they can go free. And so we remember this this morning. In forgiving sinners, God doesn't lower his standard. God lowers himself to lift us up. As the Apostle John writes later on in the New Testament, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is why we now have the freedom to be honest, to confess our sins, to own up to our faults and failures, because we also have the assurance of pardon. We have the assurance of acceptance. And isn't that what our, our little inner lawyer is always, it's always trying to fudge the facts, trying to make ourselves presentable, trying to make ourselves acceptable, but only the gospel frees us. So if you're in a pattern of constantly defending yourself, justifying yourself, spinning the story, telling half-truths, living in denial, here's what we need to hear. The Jewish objectors of Paul needed to stop relying on their advantage, their history, and their human perspective as if it could justify them before God. And my question for you is this, in what area do we need to fire our inner lawyer? It could be a marriage. It could be our friendship. It could be our involvement in this church. It could be your attitude towards the job. If you're not yet a Christian, today is the day that you could say, inner lawyer, fire. Jesus Christ, you are my advocate. So today, all of us can repent of sin and rest in the advocate Jesus, the righteous judge who showed you mercy and grace. Because your inner lawyer tries to repress the truth, but Jesus reveals the truth. Your inner lawyer tries to reduce your guilt, but Jesus removes your guilt. Your inner lawyer is always working to earn you acceptance, but Jesus has already worked to offer you acceptance. Your inner lawyer relies on your track record to make you righteous, but Jesus relies on his track record to make you righteous. Your inner lawyer can never give you peace, but Jesus always gives you peace. So, today you can know the freedom of being completely honest about all your sin and shortcoming, but totally free because through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are accepted. Let's fire our inner lawyer and say, Jesus, you are my righteousness. And we have an opportunity to do that now as we take communion together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father,